This was a vision. I'm telling you, these people are Satanists. As I sit here, they are Satanists. Look, the world is full of these kind of things. Black masses, mutilations, mutilations. The incubus, the succubus. I'm telling you, we got to go down to the religious supply store. We got to get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water. My cousin Jerry's a priest. He can get us a deal. Do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Hey, once they get in here, it's over, pal. Trigger warning. This podcast may include explicit content that will take you out of your comfort zone and make you question reality. Listener's discretion is advised. joining me once more for the monthly breakdown shakedown and we have on zach and ron from the imaginarium of thought podcast now very poetically the movie that we're breaking down today is the imaginarium of dr pernassus so i think this is too good to be true I have the Imaginarium guys themselves breaking this down with me. Zach, how are you? I'm doing pretty good today, Julia. Definitely appreciate you having us on and excited to jump into this movie. It seems like there's so much information in here, so I'm really excited to see how deep we can get into it. Me too. Ron, sound off. How you doing over there? Sorry, I'm doing good. Uh, Yeah, the um, movie, it's actually kind of what I came up for our show title. Like, I saw the movie, I liked it, I saw the, you know, because it was back when I was getting into magic and the occult and stuff like that. And uh, I'm, like, realizing, oh, it's all in these videos and stuff, and then I, I see this movie, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is definitely some sort of, like, hidden symbolism movie. Um, yeah, and I think that it's one, so I was telling Zach right before we got started that pretty much me watching a movie like this is kind of like a Bigfoot sighting. I don't typically go for movies like this. So for me to actually sit down and enjoy it, I was surprised because anything really hallucinogenic like Alice in Wonderland or something like that, it's not my cup of tea, no pun intended. But this (laughs) one really got me. I liked it. I thought it was really cool. I think the story is really interesting as well. And I didn't know if you guys kind of wanted to give your thoughts on, like, the premise of the movie, and then we'll kind of break it down as we go through. Uh, Yeah, I'll say the uh, movie in a basic breakdown is a monk named Dr. Parnassus who makes a uh, deal with the devil for immortality. And um, that's pretty much the rough breakdown of some sort of Faustian-type deal. And... Mm -hmm. um, this is a story as old as time, essentially. Yes, it's an archetypal story. And I think that there's a lot of hidden gems and a lot of real obvious stuff in this movie. And it stars Heath Ledger, 
a dude named Christopher Plummer, um, Vern Troyer, Andrew Garfield, shout out Spider-Man, Lily Cole, Tom Waits, Johnny Depp, Colin Farrell, and Jude Law. And, of course, also um, Heath Ledger died during the filming of this movie, so that's why they had to incorporate Johnny Depp and Jude Law and Colin Farrell because they kind of stood in for him in the pieces of the movie that he didn't get to film. But the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus is a 2009 fantasy film directed by Terry Gilliam and written by Terry Gilliam and Charles McGowan. I didn't really look into them. I don't know if you guys have anything on the director. Yeah, uh, Terry Gilliam, he actually, uh, for Monty Python fans out there, he was the guy that did all the uh, cartoons. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. And he did, uh, like, uh, I think it was that movie uh, 12 Monkeys with Brad Pitt or whatever. Oh, shit. Okay, okay, yeah. And, uh, he, you know, he does these kind of, like, movies like this, but he's also notoriously bad for being uh, cursed, like a cursed director. There, uh, There's a movie he tried to make about Don Quixote, and um, there is so much, like, disastrous stuff that happened to him during that they actually made a documentary about it. The movie then really? was so disastrous it couldn't get made. Yeah. <clears throat> um, <laughs> so with this movie, it was also the same kind of thing. He was saying that, you know, when Heath died, about a third of the way through the movie, said, well, I'm just, you know, I might just scrap it and stuff like that. But they kept on and completed the movie. And he says that the, the movie is basically a, a biography of his life. You know, like he's Parnassus trying to get this spirituality and empowerment out of people who would rather just booze and do sleazy stuff, you know? <laughs> and, but the thing is, that makes me, he says that the script never got changed. They didn't change a script to add in Johnny Depp's character, Jude Law and uh, Colin Farrell, which makes me wonder if you watch the movie, like, wait a minute. Well, it, it wouldn't make sense in certain scenes, that, you know, and get into it. But, uh, and also during this interview, when he's saying that, he's wearing a shirt of someone. It's like a like a clown wearing, you know, with like a red sweater doing like the Baphomet hand sign, you know, one hand up, one oh, hand down. Shit. And his <laughs> his jacket is black and white squares, like little black and white squares. <laughs> Literally like black and oh, white wow. tile floor. Yeah. So maybe. Wanted- oh, I'm sorry, Zach. No, I was going to say, I also want to mention, too, he also directed uh, one of my favorites, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which had Johnny Depp in it, too, which is another connection, which is kind of cool. And that's, you know, somebody he chose to replace Heath Ledger once he passed away. And it's somebody that he had already worked with before. Yeah. And that's the Adrenochrome movie. Yeah, that's one. Like we were talking earlier, the imaginary Dr. Parnassus is a little something a little out there for me. But Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is definitely right up my alley with all the with all the drug use and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I do but, think uh, it's interesting that he's saying the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus is his life story, and that would mean that he made a deal with the devil. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he's telling yeah. himself there. There's right. some sort of deal in the devil that went on, and, and, and that's like just about everybody, you know. It's in, in, I mean, deal with the devil is just a lyric that many, many famous artists have used in their lines. From Snoop Dogg, you know, Ariana Grande. It, it's too many. They all say it. And or they <laughs> yeah. all they might not come right out and say it, but they 
have hinted that they've done something to get to where they are. Which is so crazy that Heath Ledger died during this movie and it's the cursed director who's saying he sold his soul to the devil. <laughs> and then you have like, oh wait, who are we going to get to replace him? Johnny Depp? Colin <laughs> Farrell? <laughs> what a yeah. what a spread. Johnny Depp's, well I guess supposedly they were uh, friends with Heath and uh, the money that they made from the movie, they donated it to his uh, daughter. Well, he died, to me, he died in questionable circumstances anyways. Mm -hmm. And to find out that it was during this movie, it all makes sense. Because I used to talk about how he probably got bad drugs from Mary-Kate Olsen. And Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that after they found his corpse, the first people they called over to the scene were... Mary Kay Olsen's bodyguard. They don't call the police. They don't call his family. They call Mary Kay Olsen's bodyguard. So in my mind, and he died really close to the age of 27. I think he had maybe just turned 28 and he was making this movie. That's a lot right there. That's a clusterfuck. If I ever did see one. Yeah. And, uh, with uh mary kate she wouldn't talk unless she was granted like immunity or something like that like and wow. she just or, you know, like the judge ordered there she was ordered to speak about it and she just she wouldn't she was like snitches get stitches bitch <laughs> yeah so it's like you know maybe she was the one that slipped him the drugs and she just or maybe she gave him a bad batch she just wanted to make sure all the evidence connected to her was out of there or she was given the bad batch to give to him she she might have been a third wheel kind of middleman person i thought that jack nicholson the quote he made after heath ledger died was very cryptic he said i told him i told him not to get involved he was talking about the dark knight movie like if you go dark you you gotta It's hard to come back from that. And Jack Nicholson himself is such a shady character. And for him to be like, oh, I told him, I told him. (laughs) That's not the first thing I would think of when I heard my friend died. Oh, I've told her ass. She was going (laughs) to, that's so insensitive. All right. That's the last thing you'd want to say. I told you so. It's a little late for that, Jack Nicholson. (laughs) It's a little late for I told you so. I mean, damn, but um, if it's okay with you guys, I kind of want to set up the first scene and then we can kind of talk about it. A thousand years ago, Dr. Parnassus made a deal with the devil. Stop! You're probably not a betting man, are you? To gain immortality. But this came with a price. Any child worth at the age of 16 belonged to him. Now, a mysterious outsider. Can you put a price on your dreams? We'll take the traveling show beyond their imaginations. The extraordinary Dr. Parnassus. What are you doing? Trying to save your daughter's life, sir. You could save her. What do you say? First to five souls. Voila. Oh, voila. 
not even dead. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. And so the movie opens up outside of a London pub and an elderly bearded sage named Dr. Parnassus runs a nearly bankrupt traveling theater troupe, which includes his teenage daughter, whose name is Valentina, a sleight of hand expert and banker named Anton. Oh, not banker. Sorry, Barker. Like he's a... a Hey, come look at this. Uh, the amazing sign, Dr. Parnassus. Like the, yeah. And then he has a dwarf assistant named Percy. And the troop's main attraction is a portal to a magical imaginarium. A surreal dream world that transforms according to its participants' own desires and offers them a choice between difficult self-fulfillment or easy ignorance. And so in the opening scene, there's a drunk guy stumbling around outside the bar and he wanders up to the stage coach. I don't even know what it's called. And he's all drunk and bumbling around and he goes into the mirror. A lot like Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass. He has to step through the mirror. Everyone has to go through the mirror and they're transported into this fantastical realm just literally like alice in wonderland but ron what were your thoughts on the beginning this movie you'll find out right away there's it's one of those kind of movies like a you know a much like a stanley kubrick you got to watch the background and things like that in the scenes so the the bar that the people actually walk out of actually is called medusa the medusa bar Wow, damn it. I didn't catch that <laughs> asshole. <laughs> and, you know, with Medusa in mythology, she petrifies you. You know, you look at her and she freezes you into stone. So in a way, it's kind of like that whole you look at the abyss, the abyss looks back type thing. And, um, you know, he goes he goes through there and he, he he's not a nice guy like for the, to the, for the audience too. you know, if you hadn't seen the movie, he's uh, he's trying to rape Dr. Parnassus's daughter sicko and uh so he's chasing around and um he he starts kind of having a nightmare experience and he actually gets taken into space and you know it's very fantastical like these scenes when he when they're inside this imaginarium and they see the uh space jellyfish which is actually like a cryptid people see supposedly it's saying like outer space is just another ocean (laughs) Mm. but uh he sees like the stairway to heaven. It's like a mountain, a stair, you know, huge stairway with these giant steps to get up to heaven. And when he walks up to it, it says uh, two times 12 times 12 step program. <laughs> and it's like, good, good luck. <laughs> so, which, you know, with the, that, the 12 times 12, so yeah. 140, uh, 144 is what it comes up to, which is like, you know, significant and the kind of cult stuff with the symbolism of that. And um, so uh, Dr. Parnassus is congratulating and telling him, hey, you know, you made it to the stairway to heaven, essentially, right? This is your path to empowerment. And it'll be long, you know, it's a long, going to be a long and uh, hard road, but it'll lead to empowerment. He turns around and he sees some sleazy bar, <laughs> <laughs> you know, where the devil who in this movie is named Nick. And it's funny, I, I watched with my fiance and she's like, the devil, 
name is Nick, like St. Nicholas, Santa. I, that came to me too. <laughs> yes, that came to me too. So, uh, you know, he goes in the bar and the bar blows him up and he gets assaulted. And then, you know, the scene goes to Dr. Parnassus getting up and he's like, oh, I lost again because uh, he was a monk who sold his soul to the devil a long time ago for immortality, I guess. Like they did a bet. It was to see who could get the first 12 disciples. And uh, Parnassus won that bet, but he kind of got tricked because the devil knew that times would change. And that people would start looking at spirituality and stuff like that as more of a sideshow, which is what the whole side show stage caravan is, you know, <laughs> like it's just some act, some silly act or something like that. And um, so with, with the whole 12 disciples thing, that reminds me of, of course, Jesus and the 12 disciples. And even when you, they show Dr. Parnassus in the future, the sign behind him is kind of like him symbolizes like Jesus. And to the left of him is some sort of like, or to, to his right is a uh, the Masonic like compass <laughs> on the book. And then to the left is uh, somebody there with a cross on their head. Mm-hmm. And um, to also talk about that, uh, there's a funny scene when it shows Dr. Parnassus in the past and uh, the devil comes up to him, him, him and his group of monks, they're recanting a story over and over again. And the devil comes up and he's like, what are y'all doing? He's like, oh, we're telling a story because if we stop telling the story, the, the world will cease to exist. And so the devil pulls out some sort of instrument and takes everyone's voice away, literally sucks the mouth off of their face. <laughs> yes. And, um, and he's like, look at that silence. And he's like, the, the universe is still here. And Parnassus is like, well, you know, somebody somewhere is still telling their story, their version of, you know, the, the story. And um, I feel like in that part, what they mean with that is the kind of like what I had showed when I tell my personal story and that whole number thing. It's this kind of story of energies, these, these energies that are constantly dancing. And that's what keeps the universe active. And I feel like a lot of religion is, is based off of these ener energetic workings, you know, like an, these un the understanding of these energies and the elements and stuff like that. Nature. And it's the oldest story ever told. It's the fight for the soul of humanity telling this story. And it's very archetypal in that way where if Parnassus is the godly one and Nick is the devil, there's tit for tat always. Like, I got a soul, you got a soul. I got a soul, you got a soul. And they're in a spiritual war, which I always talk about with my podcast is everything is a spiritual war. But the way that they presented it in this movie was kind of like what you were saying. It's become a sideshow or a freak show to people to be a Dr. Parnassus more enlightened or more aware of creation and God and, and, and trying to achieve that where everyone just wants to get drunk and go to the bar or the titty club or whatever it is. And he actually, Dr. Parnassus made a deal with the devil. It's layered. So he makes the first deal for immortality, but then he finally ends up meeting someone and falling in love. And then she has a baby. And then there's a second deal, which is, 
I get your firstborn child. And that happens to be his daughter, Valentina. And he wants her the second she turns 16 years old. And Dr. Parnassus hasn't even begun to tell her he's made this deal with the devil. She doesn't even know he's been talking to the devil. She (laughs) just thinks this is my life. I'm part of a traveling circus act. But before he even tells her that there's this deal with the devil and her soul is pretty much on the line, we meet Heath Ledger. And I think his role in the movie is very important to what unfolds after that. Do you have anything on Heath Ledger before I get into the scene where we find him? (laughs) Well, you know, the the thing is, is uh, with Heath Ledger, you know, just like with all these famous actors like this, like celebrity sacrifice thing, he's the thing that makes this movie interesting is that he it's almost like the sacrifice is the movie it's almost like if he lived through this movie it wouldn't have been the same movie (laughs) isn't that crazy to think about it wouldn't have been yeah it would have been a completely different movie so it almost makes it seem seem like definitely this this was uh some sort of hey it's the devil's coming to collect it's you know it's time to do your thing like just like that one singer says uh i can't remember his name for some reason uh that did the 60 minutes interview bob dylan oh bob dylan right yep Mm -hmm. that asshole see they (laughs) always end up telling on themselves eventually yeah even uh madonna you know i mean she she made a post on twitter or she made a tweet saying i sold my soul fuck I, i can't get it back now (laughs) and then she deleted the tweet (laughs) yeah and i think before i like really dive into his character i think i should also back up for a second because the barker guy who is andrew garfield he uh has a crush on valentina he wants to be with her they're the same age or around the same age so it makes sense but she of course like all girls doesn't want the easy thing she wants the bad boy she wants this adventure in her life she wants to get away from the circus so she's not easy to fall in love with Anton because she's known him her whole life they've kind of grown up together in this thing and I think in her mind she sees him more as a brother or a bestie and so when they find Heath Ledger, she immediately is kind of lusting after him. And if we're talking about making deals with the devil, another thing would be the seven deadly sins, which I feel like we do see a lot of in this movie. You know, there's lust, lying, there's... um, Gluttony. Yeah, all of it. And so... They're on the caravan. I don't know of a better word to describe the damn thing. It's like a tenement <laughs> on wheels. I don't know how else. Like a, like a like a stage, like a stage on wheels, basically. Yeah, yeah a but, traveling stage. Yeah, yes, traveling stage. and and they all live inside of it. And they're going across a bridge, and Anton notices someone hanging beneath the bridge, so they rappel down and save him and bring him back up top and they're doing a little cpr moment on him and this freaking flute flies out of his throat 
And this flute that was lodged in Heath Ledger's throat kept his neck from snapping and killing him. And he lives, but they shove him in the trunk. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, we just saved him so he didn't choke to death, so we'll just suffocate him instead. (laughs) Shove him into a trunk and close it and latch it and keep moving on. Uh, that which I thought was funny, but this is where we meet Heath Ledger, and we don't really know what his story is just yet in the movie, but it's obviously going to be significant because, and we can talk about the scene a little bit now too. He's in an all white suit, and he's hanging under a bridge, so he's like the hanged man in occultism. Yeah, and and uh, the hangman is also the Joker card. Oh fuck, that's right. Yeah, and and also there's a scene earlier in the movie when you kind of first see Mister Nick coming up to pronounce, "Hey, but old buddy, old pal," when they're by like a, a fire, on the wall behind them, the graffiti says "Joker," so some sort of like premonition to. What oh they... my god! And he's I totally missed that. I totally miss that too, Zach. He's blowing my mind right now. (laughs) Ron's Ron's always really good at this. (laughs) So they're showing the connection back to the Dark Knight. Yeah. And then if you think of it, it's like the Dark Knight of the Soul. Oh, yeah. Wow. So is it a premonition for what's to come in the movie? Or is it a giant spell and it's the premonition of what's about to happen in real life. Yeah, and, and um, that could make sense with how everything is now. Everything's in anarchy and lawlessness in these big mm-hmm. cities. And that's kind of what the Joker is about. You know, <laughs> hey, right. this is our version of crazy freedom <laughs> you know, of expression. And so so it could it could be some have been some big ritual link to the from the two movies. I think it definitely could be because I just watched a movie recently and I'm about to talk about this movie with my cousin Brian, not for a breakdown, but just like to mention it. There's a new movie that I watched on Netflix called The Pale Blue Eye and it has Christian Bale in it and it's a murder mystery kind of movie, but there's a lot of occult symbolism in that and it vaguely reminded me of The Dark Knight. And I always wondered why they picked Christian Bale, because in my mind, he never stuck out to me as a Batman. Is he your Batman? Please don't tell me it's Ben Affleck. (laughs) Uh, Michael Keaton for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. Christian Bale kind of, kind of, he did the voice. He had the good voice. I'll say that as a Batman. Yeah, he did have the good voice, but he just was a little slender for my taste in Batman. Oh, and by the way, right before I jumped on here to record this with you guys, it's been a beautiful sunny day. It's been 90 degrees, gorgeous Oklahoma day. Right before I jumped on here to record this with you, the sky turned black and hail started pouring from the sky. And it's a legitimate thunderstorm outside. So if you can't hear me very well, it's because there's a bunch of hail hitting this window. Over no. Here. But <laughs> how cryptic is that? Like right before we jump on the podcast, it's just like lightning. 
boom with fucking hail but anyways that's um, crazy the powers that be are trying to keep us from uh, talking about this tonight but when they find heath ledger under the bridge and they pull his body up and the flute flies out of his throat and they're like oh he's alive whatever there are symbols that are carved into his forehead I think it's like a mark red paint or something like that. Or or maybe that's what it was. Yeah, it looked like it was either in blood or it was like a red, like you said, a red marker. Oh, blood. Or Most something. likely blood, yeah. <laughs> I swear that's what it looked like to me. And I'm not, I'm really good with symbolism, but not like the symbols themselves. To me, it just looked like a triangle, you know, what you would normally say, an X and an I. And a, I was like, okay, that's probably significant, but I just don't know what that's supposed to mean. Yes, yeah, I, I, I found an article about where somebody had tried, uh, did already the research, but I forgot to write down those names. <laughs> but um, so from what I remember, they were uh, some sort of, they actually are real symbols, but the, you know, like you said, the triangle with the eye, it's obviously trying to make it like Illuminati, you know? Yeah, exactly. Zach, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say the, um, the hanging actually was uh, inspired by a real hanging uh, from 1982 by of a guy named Roberto Calvi. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but he was, it was supposedly linked to the Vatican and he was supposedly hung there as like a, a ritualistic murder by a black mas- Masonic lodge called Propaganda Do. So it's kind of, it's just kind of crazy that right there is another link to, you know, all the Holy hidden meanings shit. and stuff. Damn. <laughs> yeah, that was from that. Ron sent me a cool little um, article that had some stuff like that. And that was something that mentioned it was really cool. I was actually based off of a real murder. Wow. Okay. Well, now I guess it's a good time to mention this. So after they get him out of the trunk, he's all discombobulated because he's just been tortured and then hung and then revived and then stuffed in a trunk. And now he doesn't know where the fuck he is. He's just wandering around. So we find out he doesn't, he's not forthright with his name. He kind of hides his identity for a while, but we later find out that he's a disgraced philanthropist named Tony Shepard. And so when I heard the name, I wanted to do a little digging on what the names of these characters might mean. And I actually ripped this idea off of Drew from your Missing the Point podcast because he's so great at talking about the names and I never used to care. (laughs) But I'm starting to see that they do have significance. So we'll just start right off the top. The name Parnassus is Greek in origin and it means the abiding place of poetry, the home of the poets. So I think that fits his character pretty well. Uh, the, also, for people uh, who know the uh, the Delphi, that's where mm-hmm. they were. They were it was there in the mountain of Mount Parnassus is where the Delphi were. Oh shit! Okay, yeah. that makes sense. It's and it being Greek in origin, I think it's kind of representing him as maybe a Zeus type of character, like you were saying. A lot of people will say the word Jesus actually comes from Zeus. I'm Mm. a Christian, so I mean, take that or leave it. But a lot of people do say that it's from Greek origin. And then the name Valentina is actually Latin and it means strong and healthy, which she is. She's pretty outspoken and all about her 
life you know everything's about valentina and then anton who has a crush on her that name is latin and it means priceless or praiseworthy but what i thought was interesting is that anton and tony come from the same name and they both mean priceless and praiseworthy and it's like the juxtaposition between anton actually being like priceless and praiseworthy and then tony who is heath ledger being like a total dickhole and so it's it's the inversion the name that it comes from is antony in latin so they put anton as one character and tony as another character but the name is literally the same name it means the same thing but it's like a mirror it's the inversion anton is actually a really great guy and trying to look out for valentina and then tony is this dirtbag but he has this this really praiseworthy name quote-unquote right so mm. we're seeing a little bit of that inversion and then nick is greek and it means victory of the people. Now think of that for inversion. Yeah, with him being the devil, you know, and then with him being the people. freaking devil. Yeah, and so the last two names I have, Percy is the midget or dwarf or whatever. He's the little one, and his name is French, and it means one who pierces the veil. Hmm. Think about that, and um. Because Heath Ledger's character's name is Tony Shepard, I actually mm. looked at Shepard too, and it's Old English, and it's the phonetic iteration of the ancient occupation, which obviously is a shepherd. But Shepard is immersed in a long legacy of deep spiritual and cultural symbolism. So Tony Shepard is essentially what did they call people who are asleep all the time sheep, sheep. so mm. i i feel like also his character could be like uh an, an antichrist type character you know as we get into more about us you learn learn about him you know because he's in, in a way he's he's there to help and he's he's a very important in that but you know he does have a dark past so it's it almost makes you wonder about a lot of people out here in the world right now. They maybe they they want to help, but for their own personal reasons, you know. It doesn't make them good people, but they they help to gain. Mm -hmm. you know, or so. they're like the flashy one. They're the attractive one, the romantic one, the one that you would lust after. When you have someone in this situation, Anton would be like, maybe he's not as attractive or maybe he's a nerd or a dork or whatever, but he actually has a really good heart, mm -hmm. but she doesn't want that. She wants the inverted version of him in name and everything <laughs> who is like the person who will take you to the edge of the cliff and then convince you to jump off of it. Like that's his character. But so he joins the troop and he is more charismatic than Anton. So he pretty much replaces Anton as the stage barker. And he's like, hey, everybody, come <laughs> to the Imaginarium. <laughs> and he gets this group of older, middle-aged, rich ladies. The elite class, oh, as uh, we would call it, to, to go the, to the Imaginarium. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say uh, before that, they, they kind of had a situation where there was a failure. You know, there was some chaos that happened the first time because the first remind time. Remind me. Yeah, it was um, outside of a supermarket or something like that. And uh, OK, yeah. And, and uh, same sort of situation with the bar. And Anton, who's who I, I forgot to mention, he stresses Achilles, who's mm-hmm. the uh, messenger mm-hmm. of the gods. But he uh, <laughs> the thing with him, even though he's the good guy because he was saved by Parnassus's imaginary when he wants to show up, you know, other people and what it could do for them. He runs up and grabs the lady, <laughs> just grabs some lady and says, no, you're coming with me. You have to see this. And he takes her up on the stage and kicks her Parnassus in the face. So it's kind of like a kick in the face to, to all the people who are making you come out of your free will to spirituality, mm. forcing spirituality on some lady. And she, of course, she ends up losing. You know, she goes crazy. Ah, starts freaking out. They skedaddle out of there. And she ends up <laughs> bouncing out of it. And they push her out into the trash. So it's kind of like, here goes somebody trying to show her spirituality to be good. But he's forcing it onto her, causing her to have a traumatic experience. And that symbolizes her falling into the trash. And who comes to pick her out of the trash? The devil. <laughs> you know? Ooh, Damn. So, yeah, so I feel like that that scene symbolizes how religion can be detrimental by forcing it on the people. You are absolutely right about that. I'm glad you brought that up because I totally just skipped right over it. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so I guess then like what I'm talking about comes after that scene where he, because Anton lost his cool yeah. with Homegirl, they're letting Tony be the barker. So do you have anything, any um, tidbits that stood out to you about that scene? Because that's a heavy scene when he's bringing those other ladies in. The, with the rich ladies? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it, this is kind of like uh, when I sent you the little snippet from YouTube. Like, hey, would you be interested in looking into this movie? And mm-hmm. uh, so he's, Tony, Tony's like, look, you know, what you guys are doing is outdated. I know how to make stuff cool. I know how to make it hip. I know how to get in with the crowd. So he basically reduced the whole stage for Parnassus uh, Imaginarium because essentially the stage was kind of like set in like a Victorian type era. And Tony made it more modern, more hip. You know, he had Dr. Parnassus yeah. instead of looking like some, you know, Hindu monk who's been on top of a mountain for 100 <laughs> years. They had him cleaned up and he, ha- you know, he had a nice suit on. And, um, uh, Vern Troyer, Mini Me, who's in the in the movie, he's like Parnassus's right hand man. Mm-hmm. He's like a, a poor poverty, and uh, behind him is Anton dressed up as a woman, like a man dressed up as a woman, <laughs> sitting right. on top of a pile of apples. Basically. That's yeah. exactly what I saw too. In a big fat woman, no less. He had like a big fat suit on. And uh, Valentina, she was a. Uh, like Eve, she was under an apple with a tree hanging, a tree with an apple with a tree hanging under it, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. a tree with an apple hanging under it. It was showing like how Eve bit into the apple, but over here you have what the result of it is like the gluttony and then the poverty who can't even have an apple, you know, like. Right. Like I said, it's like all the the seven deadly sins are represented. Mm -hmm. And And like uh, each character kind of embodies that a little bit. And Tony, he's dressed up like with the eyes wide shut mask on. Ah, <laughs> oh, the masquerade fucking mask. You know, I did a whole episode on New Orleans 
And I was kind of partially inspired to do it because I watched Eyes Wide Shut and the Mardi Gras is just loaded with these masquerade masks. And it's because it's significant to the dark occult. Yeah. And also uh, on his uh, scarf is a butterfly pin. Shit. So it's kind of... I knew it. Throwback to MK Ultra, like kind of like now absolutely they're feeding you their version of spirituality through this new form of entertainment you know Uh, Mm -hmm. and um he also instead of uh please give generously the sign says please take generously and hanging inside of the box is a bill with uh, queen elizabeth on it which we know her connections with these higher elite deep state people among so, other things. Among other things. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so, you know, he gives a nice little speech and some, some other rich lady, you know, she's like, Who, who's, whose uh, boy is that? Like the African kid? She wants to buy the African kid. <laughs> and she's like, right, Can I she does. I want to adopt that child. Yeah. And they're so yeah. full of themselves too, because so Heath Ledger convinces one of the older ladies that she wants to go inside and he follows her in. But this is where we start meeting the other characters because Heath Ledger died. The first replacement was Johnny Depp, if I'm not mistaken. Because Mm -hmm. after they go into the Imaginarium, he suddenly transforms into the most appealing version of himself for that woman. Which is why when you said earlier they never rescripted it after Heath Ledger died, I don't think that's true because Johnny Depp literally says something about how his face changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they they say yeah exactly they um they say that they never change the script and stuff like that. Then like how would that how would that work if Heath Ledger's like oh my face looks different that doesn't. <laughs> like well, it's almost- like how you know unless they like <laughs> painted in blue or something oh my face is different like no you're literally a different person now it's and, a little too convenient <laughs> yeah there was this whole thing i covered from the blood origins show on netflix the witcher universe where this demon appears and it says that it has many names and many faces and it can just Mm. choose whichever one is the most attractive to you and that's literally what came to my mind when the scene happened where Johnny Depp is dancing around with that old lady and he pretty much says that his face changes to whatever the person would be most attracted to just like a demon or anything they're not going to come after you with a hideous scarred up face or like dark and creepy and scary it's going to look attractive and i think that's what that scene is kind of showing us i feel like that kind of goes back to to what you mentioned with um the choice between anton and tony it's like and you know tony was the attractive the attractive choice and obviously the more i don't know (laughs) The choice that she'd be more attracted to, but to, where Anton is a safer choice. And I just like the, how the whole movie is based around choices like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I agree. Also, like it's also whose uh, imagination is the strongest will take over the imaginarium. So, like, like you're saying, like her imagination in there was the strongest. So it, it was all about her and what she wanted and stuff like that. 
and um, he's dancing with her while he's dancing with her. He's seeing Valentina in the background and he's like checking her out instead, you know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> he didn't want, you know, the old lady. And uh, so um, the scene, so of course, it's all like the whole movie, like literally. And, and with what Anton says in the beginning, this is for those with the eyes to see, like you'll you'll see it. It's gold and silver at, all over the place. But uh the scene changes and um she sees a uh like a motel across the street with this yeah you know to, to get busy. like a love like, nest oh, yeah. love mm-hmm. nest yeah. <laughs> she's hey, like of course i mean if you were in an imaginarium with johnny depp and you didn't know he was an occult satanist i would definitely be like give me the keys but that it's trying to show you and and then obviously the boat comes up and he convinces her to get on this gondola and sail off into the sunset and Dr. Parnassus wins that one because she didn't choose the lustful thing. She she chose the more pure thing. But it's always that choice between good and evil. And this movie has done a great job showing that. But I think uh, when she's sailing off in the gondola into the sunset, the river kind of becomes this cobra and you find out this is nick and he's representing himself as a serpent and then like you said before we already had the garden of eden reference i saw egyptian hieroglyphics everywhere i saw you know the all-seeing eye i saw i mean you name it this movie as far as symbolism goes is right up there for me with eyes wide shut and the shining Oh yeah, definitely. And um, I also wanted to say too, before she goes sailing off, there's like those uh, memorial boats. You know, the Jap- and it has the pictures of of celebrities who who are celebrities like Princess Diana and stuff like that. Oh, connected oh, to, oh, oh. yes, yeah, co- connected to celebrity sacrifices. So it's Heath Ledger. Suppose you know we're just theorizing allegedly celebrity sacrifice in this movie and within the movie they show other celebrity sacrifices and that's place. why i said it, the whole movie is like a massive ritual yeah and um it was supposed to be a, a big popular movie but uh, most people just don't get it because on the surface it seems like it's just this main stage of play but for us with the eyes to see it's a whole different you know there's different ways you could take the message and stuff like that mm-hmm I think that if I wasn't into conspiracy theories, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much because the Imaginarium, quote unquote, that they step into kind of looks like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory on the inside (laughs) and like the Oompa Loompas and the schnozberries and the it's just goofy kind of. But if you understand that it's not about that and that they're trying to tell a more deeper story within the story, it's definitely worth the watch. I mean, when they enter the Imaginarium, it's all of your desires and fantasies and pastel colors and mermaids and all of this. But it's showing you desires versus your what your soul really desires is enlightenment, but what your earthly body desires is what the devil or nick in this movie gives you the one night stands and the bars and this and that so it's ultimately your free will choice to decide what you go after and um the 
the the movie when i when i looked into it because after the these old ladies they have a great time and they come back out of the imaginarium and they're just shoving money into the donation <laughs> pot and yay uh it gets weird because let me see my notes here do you want to talk about what happens after that as far as the gangster guys showing up and yeah so um it's the night before Valentina turns uh, 16 and this is like their last two raw to, to win this bet because they made another bet. Parnassus and devil should have said this earlier, but um, it's to the first of five souls, but he says it has to be before she turns 16 or I get her. He's like, wait a minute, that's in five days or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and also when uh, Mr. Nick introduces himself, he, he shows up with an alarm clock. And he wakes Parnassus up with that saying, I'm time, you know, like they say the devil's mm. time. So now it's Parnassus has four souls and he's one more soul. And then he wins the bet. Valentina's doesn't get taken to the devil because when he made the deal for his mortality, it was that whoever child, his first daughter at the age of 16 would be property of the devil. Right. And, and so he's been struggling and, and I guess he's had guilt over this whole thing that he made. So um, uh, that's what it was, you know, that that's kind of that part. But um, yeah, so the Russian mob people, they see Tony up there and they're like, hey, that's that's so and so, you know, uh, the guy that owes us money. They chase him into the Imaginarium. And I think they were kind of it was kind of like a weekend at Bernie's moment because they were like, we killed you. (laughs) (laughs) how are you still here but yeah they kind of chase after him and and go ahead because this this i think it's really important yeah and uh and when he when it was his imaginary it was uh ladders climbing up into the clouds and it says fame fortune he's like oh yeah i love this and he's just climbing up the ladder you know the successful guy you know ambitious guy um Mm -hmm. But then the, uh, you know, the troubles start happening, the ladder breaks up and he falls to the ground. And that's when they catch up to him and he's Jude Law in this scene. And yes. they're like, oh, that's not him. He's a different person. But then they start wiping his head and the satanic symbol starts showing up on his forehead again. And they're like, oh, no, it's definitely him. So they go to kill him and uh, Anton shows up and Parnassus shows up. He uh, tries to try to help or whatever. He tries to... Uh, tell the russian guys to try to win their souls he says hey join the police and you can do violence <laughs> with us commit violence <laughs> right the police, you know? do all, <laughs> instead of be, doing all your violence for the devil do it for over here for the police and you know it's just kind of a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. irony thing but um the devil ends up winning their souls by pretending like he's their mother and they come running mother and they come running mm-hmm. to, to him and then he he blows him. So it's kind of like they were kind of like evil. And it's almost like in the mainstream, we think that the devil wants good souls, which is probably true. But in this movie, it's portraying it like the devil wants evil souls more. You know, he's not so because what you find out is that he's actually interested in Tony's soul. And he's mm-hmm. been trying to get Tony's soul for a long time, but he's been protected by the black magic symbols on his forehead. And so he tells Parnassus hey if you can get me this guy's soul um you know well to break it down yeah Valentina finds out about the whole deal and how her the the bet that her dad made Parnassus so of course she becomes the uh runaway 
she, she gets mad and she's furious and uh, the Imaginarium is pretty much breaking down. Parnassus is like giving up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I actually found when I Googled the cliff notes for the movie, right during the scene that you're talking about, it's this is verbatim what it said. It says, Valentina is horrified at her father's revelation. Basically, after he told her, I was going to sell your soul when you turn 16. And it says, meanwhile, having discovered that Tony is a fraudulent charity scammer who stole organs from orphans in developing countries and sold them to wealthy elites, (laughs) Anton confronts Tony, but Tony fights him off, pushes Valentina into the Imaginarium and joins her. Now... When the fuck did they say this? Did I miss it? Yeah. Uh, well, it starts out so she she's all upset, right? And uh, they mm-hmm. make love because she, now she's legal consent. Mm-hmm. Well, and Britain is sixteen, you know, so um, still a little pedophilic for me. Yeah, but still. <laughs> and well, and yeah, and um, so uh, after they make love, it starts getting dark and gloomy and stuff like that. And he's like, "Oh, I guess this is my part of the imaginary." Because there's a little girl crying and she, or a little boy or something, she's all dirty and looks like she's in like some war-torn land. And he's like running up, shut up, little girl. Right. And then he goes and he's shaking her. And then he sees that there's a bunch of camera people and stuff like that. So he picks the little girl up and smiles. Like he's, like he's there to help her. And, yeah. Um, right. Like that's what all philanthropists do in real life. Like Bill fucking Gates, like he's smiling as he's injecting people with deadly toxins, like, ah, stab. <laughs> and I heard, um, actually with a lot of, uh, like money laundering stuff, it'll be like investors, you know, and they'll invest mm-hmm. into prop- properties and then also do, uh, some sort of charity thing to, to kind of like nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, with all this and the selling the organs and stuff like that, the first person that came to mind for me is the Clinton Foundation, who was this huge foundation helping all these impoverished people and stuff like that. When she didn't make president, it, it just is like went away, <laughs> just just disappeared. She had uh, when she was running for presidency, she had all these countries donating twenty million dollars, forty million dollars to her charitable foundation, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and after her bid for. A, election and so it makes you wonder like is is this a kind of like hint out to like a bill gates or a clinton foundation type situation there absolutely absolutely (laughs) and so he's a scumbag asshole our tony shepherd and let's see he Let's see. Anton eventually confesses his love for Valentina before falling into like this void. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Valentina, I have to say, is very self-absorbed and very unconcerned with everything around her except for her, which... I thought that maybe they were trying to paint her in an angelic light, but I also, in the back of my mind, was thinking, is she kind of the whore of Babylon character? Yeah, that's funny that you point out because uh, when she when she runs away, when she finds out 
Tony's dirt bag and she tries and he like pushes her down. She runs away. She dances with the devil. And when she's dancing with the devil, she's wearing a red dress. Like, you know, see, that's why yeah. I mention it. <laughs> yeah. And um, she ends up there's a uh, two doorways that opens up that so, says his and hers. His meaning like the devil or hers meaning like her choice, her her empowerment and stuff like that. And she chooses mm-hmm. the devil's the door. And he's standing there like, wait, she chose me. <laughs> I won. <laughs> and it's, it's like, think about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she is the Scarlet Witch, actually, in this story. And they tried to kind of paint her in an angelic light, but I personally think that she was the Scarlet Witch the whole time. Mm-hmm. Almost like, uh, also, I think, too, if Parnassus is also like the theme of him, like maybe he's God is also like this, uh, like the Scarlet Horror thing when she's screaming at him. She's like, even if I want to get away from you, I can't. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm stuck. I'm stuck here, pulled back to you. So it, it does kind of seem like like that, like they were portraying her as uh, this wrath. This right. And the resentment. Resentment. And because um, they also, people theorize and they could say like Tony was the Antichrist because he's right. this guy doing all this nice stuff. But the way you're presenting it, they would say if there is an Antichrist, she'd probably be a female, you know, because it would be some sort of inversion thing, Scarlet Horror. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it probably will be more of uh, a female type of energy mm-hmm. because we've been so dom- dominated by masculine energy for so long. I think the tide is turning. I don't have this, uh, what do they call it, like uh, more women should rule everything and women are this and that that's not really me but i do see the tide kind of turning in the favor of women recently and i almost kind of wonder if it's to our detriment in some ways because it used to be a polite thing to open a door for a lady or say hey you look really nice today or if you're like drinking at the bar you go up and be like hey what's your name you know you're really pretty like all that is super taboo nowadays because you're gonna offend someone if you do that so you do see this this surge of feminine energy taking over and it's not necessarily in a positive way yeah it's it's also too it gets uh like all these pro, oh, I'm a male feminist and stuff like that. Those are actually all the dirt bags. <laughs> those, they're just, right. like, those are the, the F boys. They will literally do whatever it takes to, to be, you know, to make themselves more attractive in that light where it's, it's false chivalry, you know, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing with the feminine is, um, you know, the nurturing energy, right? It's like the mother, oh, takes everyone, you know, you, there's that nurturing energy she loves you and then controls where it's also the opposite way with uh, toxic masculinity is just are violent they're basically you're basically half animal at that point you know that's why yeah yeah well i was gonna ask you what you think about that because i don't necessarily know if there's such a thing as toxic masculinity the way they're portraying it is this where we are as a society is anything if you have a penis in general you're a toxic male 
is kind yeah. of what how I feel like the narrative is being pushed. It, well, it's saying that toxic masculinity is working hard and being strong and and having values and stuff like that. When really right. toxic, toxic masculinity are basically Vikings. Like you know, they portray Vikings in a good light. Like oh, they're strong. No, those guys were literally going into villages raping the women and and any of the mm-hmm. people they deemed weak they would just slaughter them whether or not they were mm-hmm. children <laughs> you know right. so that's toxic masculinity is it's brutality mm-hmm. on the opposite end it's it's a brutality of the physical where the brutality on the feminine end is the brutality of the emotion uh, yeah the because side. they they've totally taken the definition and twisted it into this if you even do one little thing or say one little thing you're toxic male but that's not what it meant like for me when i used to think of toxic masculinity i didn't think of someone who was a dominant head of the household i thought of someone who's like beating their wife or beating their girlfriend or rapists and you know but now it's any old guy could be considered a toxic man like that's not cool yeah, and and also there there could be a guy he he could be stronger physically and this and that, but he's weak emotionally and mentally. Where mm-hmm. you know a lady half his size probably living on a wheelchair is more mentally uh, and emotionally and spiritually stronger than he is. You know, so mm-hmm. it's but I, I, yeah, it's definitely uh, they're playing on what the actual energies are. Yeah, because if if we're going to take, for example, this movie, the only toxic masculinity I saw was coming from freaking Heath Ledger's character. Yeah, uh, the, the trickster, you know, he was the, <laughs> he was the trickster, the slimy sleazeball politician or philanthropist who just do whatever it takes. And, and him and too, when he dies and to end the end of the movie, um, he's climbing up that mountain you see the stairway to heaven except his mountain stops because for him it's he made it up the mountain but only out of fear and pressure and stuff like that but he sees the noose and he's going to hang himself again and Parnassus is there and he he ends up having both flutes that he used to in a stroke to keep himself alive and Mm -hmm. he's like well which flute are you going to take or I forgot how (laughs) I shouldn't know but it's like one flute is made of gold and it's the flute that he had in his throat that was strong enough to keep like his neck from snapping. And one flute is like real weak and brittle, but they kind of look identically the same. And it's you're supposed to use like your spirit of discernment to choose the right flute, but he doesn't have that because he's so corrupted and he chooses the wrong fucking flute. And that is how he dies because he gets hung but the one that he chose wasn't the gold one, the strong one, and his neck snaps. Yeah, and, and also after he dies, Dr. Parnassus goes to say, there's three rules of spirituality. He's like, the first is there is no such thing as black magic, only dirty tricks. And he's like, I forgot the other two. <laughs> <laughs> but that also, like with black magic, it it, it, it is dirty tricks in a way. It's uh, with MK Ultra, you could say that's black magic. Um and also with, uh, from what I've learned with the witchcraft stuff is you would put like somebody's picture and their hair or, or and things connected to them. You put it into a jar and then you poop in the jar, pee in the jar. Oh put my God. Stuff, stuff in the jar, you know, uh, dead animal rats and stuff. And then you would take that jar and you bury it 
in their yard somewhere. So it's, it's, it's connecting. It's in a way it's affecting their energetic. Uh, wow. Yeah. That, that's black magic. If I ever heard it. Yeah. It's pooping on a picture of them. <laughs> well, because uh, also um, there was a study before where looking at somebody's picture and thinking positively will actually affect their health. So that's why with Trump, that's why he had so much energy. His picture is everywhere. You know, all these people are, it's, uh, that's why with the celebrities, you're essentially feeding your energy to them, you know, by looking at their pictures and, you know, listening to their music. Or in movies. In movies, yeah. Wow. That's really crazy to think about how much energy we do give these assholes. And oh, how yeah. much energy we're giving even just random people through social media. Or if somebody looks at my picture and they hate my guts, like, what is that doing? You know, I would <laughs> say that, you know, I have a spiritual hedge of protection up against stuff like that. But you get enough people that hate you looking at you and pooping on your picture. You're probably going to have a stroke or something. I think I would if I found out somebody pooped on my picture. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 it. Where also uh, positive magic, right? Would be like if you want putting, doing nice stuff, you know, cher- cherishing those pictures, and mm. so uh, yeah, that's kind of how that works. You know, you're you're trying to link that person to these type of energy. But uh, to end a movie, uh, the devil, he's like, it kind of seems like he's just more interested in playing this game. He doesn't really want to win and take over. He's just more of the adversary, like he, it said in the Bible. He just wants mm. to keep, keep the fun alive. So that's his like purpose is to either push people towards, like with Tony, the darkness, or push them towards the other way, more of an empower, empowering side to rise from, like, because they always show Parnassus with a lotus flower. And we know right. that sim- symbolizes growth from muddy, dirty water. It's this beautiful flower that, that blooms from that. And um, uh, that's the show. And at the end of the movie, Parnassus kind of sees, because he's depressed, he, his daughter don't want to talk to him anymore, you know, and he basically has made all, caused all this trouble, but he sees what he thinks is his daughter and he follows her and it is his daughter. And she's there with Anton. <laughs> and they, right. they, have, they have a kid, they started a family. And he decides instead of going in there and, you know, being more of, trouble he's just going to be happy for her and admire her from afar basically that's like god and like our free will right maybe he in the past like they say it was like more of like a forced thing but now it's more just like you know what just let them let them be their thing you know mm-hmm. if this is what makes them happy i'm just going to stand back and let them be happy that way yeah so he his uh the little uh dwarf guy pulls him back kind of Cause he goes to walk up to her and he's observing them together and he wants to, but then the little dwarf guy kind of pulls him back and he thinks about it for a second. He's like, no, let them just be them and I will remain in the shadows or whatever. But I guess, would you say it's a, a cheerful ending? Well, it, it, at the end, um, you see that Parnassus is now he's creating like little kids toys and it's mm-hmm. <laughs> shown like you know you, of course w- with positive empowerment spirituality you want to start young right teach, uh-huh. teach kids morals young so that way they'll develop 
better. Uh, but, but then you see that the devil is handing an apple to some nuns. So it's like, he's also in his hand trying to using maybe spirituality for more sinister reasons. Right. Yeah. I think it's um, going back to that idea of tit for tat. Dr. Parnassus is doing something to positively influence society. Nick, AKA the devil is over there doing something to pervert or convolute society. So it is this battle of good versus evil with an occult undertone. The whole movie mm-hmm. has occult undertones. The little symbols here and there, the actors, what happened to Heath Ledger, it's all pretty much connected. And just to kind of wrap things up, actually, I had done some research on where they filmed the movie. Mm-hmm. And I came across this one thing. It says, on the evening of December 10th and 11th, 2007, the carnival scenes were shot at Potter's Field. Now, here's what's interesting about that. So the Potter's Field or Popper's Grave that they filmed these scenes in is a place for the burial of unknown, unclaimed, or indigent people. And the term Potter's Field is of biblical origin and... It comes from Matthew 27, 3 through 27, 8 in the New Testament in the Bible, in which Jewish priests take 30 pieces of silver returned by the remorseful Judas and purchase a potter's field. So the first potter's field ever was purchased by Jewish priests with this silver that Judas returned to them. And they filmed... Uh, quite a few scenes in this movie at the so-called potter's field in london and i just think that is so freaking wild and, and the connection to that too is the uh on the ferris wheels are uh the hexagons the star of david like oh the, the shit left. that's right that's yeah. right damn so it's almost like with this movie and it's, and it's kind of like, okay, well, if this movie's kind of weird like this, why would I kind of, well, I named our podcast. Uh, it was more of just, I had that idea, like it's the oddities in the world, like more of like mm-hmm, a sideshow mm-hmm. thing, but also at the end of this movie, you're going to have right now, all everyone is choosing a side, you know, whether they agree with it or not. There's, there's people who are purposely wanting this darker reality in but then there's people like us out there trying to help people and then there's honestly just people the third the third wheel is just kind of people in the middle they're they're the uh they're the ones that are being fought over Mm -hmm. they're the uh well not as bad as tony but maybe they're the valentinas yeah they're the valentinas and and we're the uh we would be more of like the antons and Parnassus's, or right, Dr. Parnassus's, to... right. But uh, oh, I was going to say, um, so it's kind of like in this movie, I'd say uh, the message is that people are, are going to choose a side eventually. You know, you can, mm-hmm. in, your, in your heart, no matter, like with Tony, no matter how much nice stuff you could do on the surface and things like that, your heart is inherently evil. And even though in the end he did all this nice stuff to help, he it was all to serve him <laughs> mm-hmm. while yeah. also 
on the other end is you want to help people and wake people up, but you don't want to do it with a gun to your head. <laughs> you know, like I'm doing mm-hmm. this for your own good. <laughs> you want them to come to it organically. Organically. Not like yeah. forcing it down someone's throat like a gold flute. LOL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that it's kind of signaling that people need a heart change and not so much a material change. You know, you can change the material things, but at the end of the day, if you didn't have a heart change, you're still not going to understand what the bigger picture is. And um, one of the last things that I found I wanted to get your thoughts on is that after they shot some scenes at the Potter's Field, they moved to the abandoned Battersea Power Station for three days. And this is one of the world's largest brick buildings. And it's featured on the cover of Pink Floyd's 1977 album, Animals. And the station appears in the 2006 movie, Children of Men, which is like this end of days kind of movie. And lastly, it also appears in the 2008 Batman film, The Dark Knight. Wow. (laughs) Tell me that shit ain't on purpose. And and that goes back to what we talked about earlier with the Joker graffiti. The joke, yes. (laughs) You blew my mind when you said that because I already knew that I had found that other Dark Knight connection. Wow. And so... I mean, this had to have been some type of a spell or a ritual. If I'm just keeping it 100% honest, I think that it was probably used as a spell or a ritual. And um, it, when you made me think about that with the uh, magic flute, the, mm-hmm. it makes me think of that uh, Mozart. He was supposedly killed for creating the magic flute. Because... Really? Uh, yeah, it, it's a conspiracy Uh he, he supposedly died of natural causes, but people think he was killed because he revealed the secrets of masonry within the magic flute. Mm. Like the uh, Stanley Kubrick song that he always uses, like uh, in the beginning of uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. And um, uh, that that is actually the whole done, done thing. That's from the magic flute. And supposedly that's their secret knock. Like that's the, right okay yeah. you told me that and you freaking blew my mind in a previous episode with that but you know what's weird and maybe i said this I, I can't remember now but it's worth repeating he was gonna have pink floyd do the intro to 2001 a space odyssey and they have this power station on one of their album covers so not only do we have stanley kubrick mozart heath ledger what else the Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. and uh, Pink Floyd all tied up in each and the, other. The the director and all all of the movies he he's creating like uh, the uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the uh, Twelve Monkeys movie, you know. So it's definitely it's he's definitely I'd say one of those kind of directors that makes these kind of like disclosure movies. Yeah, you know? he knows some shit. He, he knows some shit, and he's he's putting it in into the movies like a kind of like Stanley Kubrick, but not as good. Mm, not, but not <laughs> as good, right? Yeah, not as entertaining as uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. But and also with those uh, masks, the um, there's a name masquerade masks, mm. and just the the term masquerading. 
<laughs> they're presenting themselves as something they aren't. They're masquerading right in front of us. And so I don't know. That's what I have on it. I think it was uh, actually a really awesome movie. I enjoyed it. And um, it was kind of like a Bigfoot sighting for me to have my husband be like, what movie are you watching? I'm like, dude, I can't even explain it to you right now. You would just have to watch it. But it was really good. Um, do you have any closing thoughts on on the movie? Um. Yeah, just that for anybody who's interested in like, you know, the hidden symbolism in the movies, there's there's even a, a lot of stuff that even though we've broken down pretty good, there's a lot of stuff in there you might see that might open up, you know, different things to you, you know, <laughs> it's everywhere. Right. You know? mm -hmm. and, um, but given the dark circumstances of, uh, around it, you know, it, like it's one of those movies, like a lot of st stuff when I watch TV nowadays, it's just to like learn, like, what are they doing behind the scenes? You know, <laughs> like, me I'm not too. Really they're supporting it, but I'm looking, decoding you know, it. I'm knowing my enemy. Mm. You know? And it, it makes it easier uh, if you know their game plan to be able to, to discern what's going on out there. Like, how would the spiritualism push? Like, a lot of the spiritualism stuff, yeah, it's good, it's positive, but with them promoting it so much in their way, I feel like they're promoting their version of spirituality, you know, like. Thank um, you for that. I completely agree with you. I think it's almost cartoonish at this point, how they're pushing it down people's throat. Yeah. And it, and it also, in my opinion, it creates also a psychosis, like the same way with people thinking there's a hundred genders or they're the reincarnation of Satan. You start with a spirituality push, you start getting a lot of people thinking that they're like, you know, connected to all these, which might aliens be and gods and crystals. God. And yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. that creates that, that whole different type of psychosis in their mind, you know, where mm -hmm. um, I feel like, you know, and it, and it could be true in some senses, but I feel like with even like, I don't know how your connection, but with uh, people with uh, mental disorders and stuff like that, it almost seems to be like, Oh, I have this many mental disorders. Oh, yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. These... Nobody just it's... wants to be a regular human. <laughs> yeah, and and I actually was thinking this the other day how easy it is to believe in God when you just keep it simple and you don't force this and I don't want to offend anyone cuz everyone has the right to believe in whatever it is that they want to believe in, but for me having to memorize calendar dates like oh i gotta take my rocks out on this day and charge them in the sun for this many hours and then charge them in the moon and then this one does this and this one and then i gotta smoke my house down and then i gotta <laughs> it's like mantras and looking in the mirror and telling yourself you're a god and do it i'm connected with these intergalactical beings and just keep it simple it really is not that confusing if you this whole uh, exactly, this whole new yeah. age stuff it b baffles my mind it's overcomplicating things when really it, it's and that's the truth hidden in plain sight is because people are like wait a minute it's just that simple <laughs> like I know. yeah it's just <laughs> right it is mm -hmm. you know it, everything else is just an accessory you know you're just mm. adding adding on to one simple truth you know Yes, that is very beautifully put. And with that, I know we just broke down the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, but if people want to check out the Imaginarium of Thought, can you tell us what's going on over there? Oh, uh, yeah. 
we're just uh you know still doing our thing uh the imaginary thought we uh cover many various uh topics and stuff like that um uh, and we, you know we we've had you on the show and that was <laughs> really awesome you know that was kind of like it was fun yeah and it's and it's also we usually try to be a little bit a little bit tamed because zach's kind of new into it and he had to bounce mm-hmm. out uh, with his internet uh, oh yeah but- i forgot to mention that to everyone his internet cut out and we missed zach about 45 minutes ago but i mean he can still listen back to this episode hey zach <laughs> <laughs> but uh the episode uh with you it was like the first time we kind of went into more important but dark topics you know and mm. uh that was Happy really to cool do it for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> So uh, that was that was a good start. So I feel a little more comfortable now talking about it. Since <laughs> the, you know, the ice has been broken, I guess. Yes, I'm the icebreaker. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I really like what you guys are doing and you you're friends. So it's easy for you two to bounce thoughts off of each other and come up with episodes and stuff. I think that's great. I wish that you would start a YouTube channel because I think that's next for the Imaginarium of Thought podcast. Yeah. Uh, and um, also the best thing about doing the show with Zach is because we don't necessarily agree on everything. He has his right. opinions and beliefs and he has his own thoughts. And I just wanted to bring it back to the times when we could have different beliefs and interests and can still all get along and communicate. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah used to be a uh, friend, my, especially my friend group used to be extremely diverse, you know, mm-hmm. all sorts of different backgrounds and stuff. But it seemed now that people are almost like joining teams. And it's, <laughs> I guess that's, it's like a circle jerk times a thousand. And I'm really starting to become disillusioned with the clicks. You know, I, I'm part of this click and this flat earth and then this, and then this is, I'm kind of all over the board. I don't really subscribe to a click. I ha- I have my own thoughts and feelings about everything. And I think healthy debate is good. People should challenge you on what you believe in. So you reaffirm to yourself and others why you believe in it. And I feel like that's the whole goal for these uh, controllers, I guess you'd say, is to keep us into these clicks. You know, they don't want mm. people to have uh, varying thoughts. And that's the reason why with the Imaginarium, we have to, they want to kill the imagination and I feel like we should keep it alive. Yes, absolutely. And with that being said, thank you so much for joining me for this Breakdown Shakedown. I think it was great. I hope the listeners go and check out what you got going on over there. And I will include all your links and everything, but thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This is cool. Always good talking All right. to you. <laughs> yes, we always have a blast. Too bad Zach's internet messed up, but I hope he enjoys the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and to all my listeners, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the episode. And we will catch you on the next one.